0: From the crunchy Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another pomological episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. Interested in growing your own heirloom apples? I'm Mike McGrath, and we got a doubleheader for you on today's show, True Believers. Master fruit grower, Lee Reich, will lead us through the world of classic varieties. And then the orchard manager for the Seed Savers Exchange will tell us about an upcoming workshop where you learn about grafting apples and keep the trees. Plus, how to keep your lettuce from bolting in the spring. So stay right with us, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up right after this.
1: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at
0: ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Before we get started, in the Taking Care of Business Department, I am happy to announce that I will appear at the Allentown Public Library on Tuesday, March 21st at 2 in the afternoon. And it's free. Be there, be square, cats and kittens. All right, now that we got the event out of the way, here's what's going to happen today. We are doing our first one-topic show and it's about heirloom apples. You're going to hear Lee Reich describe some fabulous old heirloom apples, and then we're going to tell you about a remarkable workshop where you can graft your own heirloom apples. So on TV, there won't be any phone calls. Uh, We are taping phone calls, and we'll be back to our regular format next week. On the podcast and radio show, there will be phone calls. So if you want to hear the whole schmegaggy, you should listen to the podcast and or your local radio station. But if you want to see what we're talking about, you should also watch the TV show, which is easily accessible at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. Have I confused you enough? I hope so. Let's get started.
2: Apple Scrubs, Apple Scrubs, how I love you, how I love you.
0: It is time to welcome a man who has been our most frequent guest by far, my friend Lee Reich. Uh, author of more gardening books than we could name in this entire segment. Um, And we tend to have him on every time he comes out with a new book. Uh, It's a book (laughs) at, what would you say? It is, um, uh, what do they call these things?
3: Tiny folio.
0: Tiny folios. A cornucopia in the palm of your hand. This little book features 250 delectable watercolors, most painted by women artists from the visual catalog of fruit varieties commissioned by the U.S. Department of Ag between 1886 and 1942. So, this is the kind of stuff they would sell at a botanical garden gift shop or in museums and stuff, right, Lee?
3: Yeah. It's uh, I'm not even just in a regular bookstore. I think that, you know, you go to a bookstore and you uh, getting ready to check out and all of a sudden you see this little book there right. with some very pretty pictures in it and some history and some, you know, botany.
0: I focused on the apples in this book. Um, they take up a good portion of the book and I believe you have a special fondness uh, for apples. So what I'd like to do is concentrate, I've asked you in advance to pick a couple of varieties um, that might be of interest to the homeowner uh, that are still available and or name some varieties that are no longer available um, but would have been interesting in the home garden. Uh, the Baldwin apple?
3: Yeah, that's interesting historically, although, you know, for a home garden... Uh, it takes some effort, depending on where you are in the country, to grow apples. So I would grow apples, the varieties specifically for the best possible flavor. If mm-hmm. you put that effort, you can go to the supermarket or a local orchard <clears throat> and get all sorts of apples. But if you want like a really different, unique and delectable apple, grow that yourself. And oh, so Bal- back to Baldwin. So Baldwin was not the best apple in flavor. I mean, I have tasted it, but it, it, um, but it was very widely grown in this country up to 1934. It was a a very, very cold winter. It was historical. There's there's whole like articles written just on the winter of 1934 and it wiped out, especially in the Northeast. uh, That was the most widely planted apple and it wiped them out. And when people replanted, they didn't want to risk losing it again.
0: You're killing me here, Lee. you got to pronounce this one.
3: Bascoop. So that's a Dutch apple, and it's an heirloom variety. And I have to say that I have not tasted that one. I planted it uh, back in the mid-'80s, and I think because it was on a rootstock that was too vigorous, and I was trying to keep it. I had apples planted very close, so I had to keep pruning it to keep it small, which encouraged vegetative growth, so I never got fruit from it. But I had—I have on very good authority that's a very good apple.
0: So this variety is available today, but yeah. it's specialty
3: sources. Definitely. Most of these would be specialty sources.
0: Calville
3: Blanc? Calville Blanc. Yes, I have had that one. That is a very... Not only delicious, but beautiful apple. it almost looks like porcelain. It was the favorite apple of Louis the Fourteenth, and it's definitely worth growing. And uh, you know, I grew it many years ago. I don't grow it now, but uh, I, I limited the number of apples I grow a few years ago.
0: We move on to Cox Orange Pippin
3: apple. Very delicious apple. That is the number one apple in England. And it has been for a number of years. I did try and grow it. One one problem with growing some of these British varieties and the Dutch variety Belle de Boscoop that I mentioned, right? It, you know, their climate is or it used to be. It's not that different now, but you know, they have typically historically very moderate summers where it never gets too hot and winters never get too cold. And during ripening season, you don't get the you know a lot of heat. Uh, so it influences the flavor of the apple. So Cox's Orange Pippin is a great apple, but I'm not 100% sure, grown here, that it would give its best flavor.
0: Oh my Lord, I'm not e- uh, Spitzenberg.
3: Oh, this is, uh, his full name is Esopus Spitzenberg. Okay, so if I was gonna grow one apple, just for flavor. Right. This, this is the one. Really? Uh, it, has a long, it has a long history. Uh, first of all, it was Thomas Jefferson's favorite apple.
0: Uh, that's a good and recommendation.
3: Right. And uh, yeah, he was no slacker when it came to gardening. And um, uh, the other thing is that I live right near the town of Uesopis, where it originated.
0: Oh, the next one. What a delightful name. The Swear Apple. Swar.
3: Swar. S- <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a that was a misprint.
0: Oh, OK. You know,
3: you know these the people that did these illustrations. They were artists, not not a pomologist. Right. So when people sent things in, they might have uh, misread the handwriting or even people that sent it in might have not known it was. But Swar is a Dutch word for heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And where I am was settled, originally by the Dutch. And that's another apple that originated in this area. And uh, once again, not a beautiful apple by today's standards, but um, but you know, very, very good tasting apple.
0: Right, because I see it's covered with specks. And, you know, people are looking for perfect and would never consider that this is the way it's supposed to look.
3: Right. Macoon. Oh, that's a very that one is very available today. Sometimes it's called Macown. And uh, it was one of the offspring of Macintosh. Mm -hmm. It's not that old. It's only 100 years old as opposed to 300 years old. But uh, that is also one of my favorite apples. Interestingly, I grow that. I do grow that one mm-hmm. because uh, just for the flavor. And I grow it, and an, and an orchard nearby grows it also. Right. To say the fruit tastes totally different from the two places.
0: Newtown pippin.
3: What is uh, pippin? A, pippin just means apple.
0: Oh, okay. I thought that was malice.
3: Well, pippin is a colloquial term for apple. Okay. The the variety originated. In Newtown, New York, mm-hmm. which actually the name later was changed to Elmhurst. Which, if you're a New Yorker, right. you know that know that's
0: Elmhurst. Queens. Yeah,
3: yeah, that's Queens, New York, and um, and that was that's also a very old apple because obviously it has the old name of uh, Elmhurst, and uh, it originated hundreds of years ago. It was very very popular apple. Such a popular apple that that was the major apple shipped to Britain from the U.S. Huh. And, and when Benjamin Franklin was in uh, England, yeah. uh, as a diplomat or something, uh, he had boxes of them shipped to him there so he could enjoy them there. And then, you know, a century later, uh, Queen Victoria was so enamored with this apple that there was a special tariff on American apples to come into Britain. She uh, did not uh, have that tariff on on uh, Newtown Pippin apple. <laughs> That's great. And I have grown that apple, and I've tasted that apple, and that's another apple that is not at its best when you pick it. You have to let it sit in, in cold storage till about February, and then it's really, really good.
0: Well, uh, this is a good time for me to mention that the book is not just about apples. Uh, you cover a lot of other fruits, but it, it, as I was reading it, I'm thinking Lee loves the part about apples. Uh, And I think the book could have been nothing but apples and still be cool. And then they might hire you to write a book about all the other fruits. (laughs) But anyway, the name of the book is Fruit by Lee Reich, R-E-I-C-H. It's from Abbeville Press. And it is a great thing to just pick up and flip through. So thank you once again for joining us and uh, elucidating us this time about apples.
3: Okay, thanks for having me.
0: Well, thanks for being had, Lee. You know, you're always welcome.
3: I always think that when I say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, man. We'll see you again. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and happily announce that I will take to the road once again to appear at the Allentown Public Library on Tuesday, March 21st at 2 p.m. It is a free event and that's 2 in the afternoon, cats and kittens, not a 2 a.m. show. You can enjoy lunch in the wonderfully resurrected downtown of Allentown. Come see me at 2 o'clock, and then you can do whatever you want. And remember, the event is free. I'm reasonably inexpensive, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media,
2: How
0: I love you! Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media. In Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and now let's take a close look at apples. We just heard and or saw Lee Reich, our favorite fruit expert, talking about heirloom apples and their beauty or lack of beauty, but their fabulous tastes. Maybe you wishes to grow some of your own. Well, guess what? The Seed Savers Exchange has a remarkable workshop coming up. One of the first I've seen uh, that uh, combines both the visual over Zoom or something similar with hands-on experience. It, it sounds wonderful to me. And here to discuss it with me and all of use is Jamie Hansen, the Orchard... What?
4: Uh, I'm the orchard manager at Seed Savers Exchange.
0: Okay, see, that's why I get the big money. I don't know anything anymore. Jamie, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, The series of workshops really jumped out at me. Now, before we get into the details, I want to alert everybody that the deadline for registering is March 23rd, correct?
4: That's correct, yes.
0: So if you want to do this, cats and kittens, jump on it because you snooze, you lose. So your workshop is comes in a, in a variety of packages. Um, tell us about the basic one where you simply learn via video.
4: Yeah, so we have a grafting class on April 14th and 15th. There are seven sessions, so you sign up for a time slot that best meets your schedule. And for $35, you get to attend the Zoom call with myself and our Orchard advisor, Wendy Lee. And part of that package is gonna be, you're expected to have your own cyan wood, your own rootstock, your own knife, and we're gonna walk you through the process. So we start with an overview of why do we graft, um, How do we graft a few tips on tree care? And then we break out into separate rooms with small groups and every group will have a knife coach. So that'll be someone like me or one of my coworkers. And we'll walk you through the steps. You make your cuts whenever we make our cuts. And by the end of the class, you'll have one tree successfully grafted and you'll be ready to do the other four on your own.
0: But as they say on the TV commercials, that's not all. Um, the materials you talked about, the tools, uh, the scion, which is the part of the plant that you're going to put onto a rootstock to actually grow that variety of apple tree, um, you can um, increase your participation and Seed Savers will send you um I believe it begins with 10 Skyons?
4: Yeah, so if you want to go that step further and you don't have the material yourself, for $75, we send you five M7 rootstock, five historic varieties from our collection, and the grafting tape, the labels, um, essentially everything that you need other than a knife.
0: That's great, and you mentioned that this is part of this workshop and part of you providing physical materials is to protect these rare varieties, right? The only way to do that is to grow them out.
4: Yeah, exactly. So in our collection, we have about a thousand unique historic varieties, and the only way to protect them um, over the long term is to not only have them in collections, but also have them in the hands of at-home gardeners, of other orchardists, And so this workshop is really our way of ensuring that our work isn't standing on its own in our collection and that we are getting these materials back into the hands of your average gardeners, farmers, and anybody who's interested in historic fruit trees.
0: And now let's talk about the bonus round um, where you're sending them everything but your own hands uh, to do this with. Because there's yet another level, right?
4: Yeah, that's correct. So for $115, you get the five scion, the five rootstock, um, a thumb cot, your grafting tape, and then you're also going to get a knife. And we offer both right and left-handed. It's important to have that bevel on the right side. So we really tailor this so that it can meet anybody's needs and also their time. And for every level, the $35, the $75, and the $115, what's unique about our grafting class is that we also offer three follow-up sessions where we walk you through the first year of caring for your tree and what all you need to do to protect it from rodents, from the weather, and from maybe your kid in the backyard.
0: <laughs> well, the kid in the backyard is going to wait uh until it gets big and then climb it. And that, that doesn't hurt anybody. Sometimes they can get the good apples up top. Is there going to be any attempt to stay in touch with these people? And in, in addition, how many years until they get fruit do you expect?
4: Yeah. So we don't have any programs where we reach out to people who have taken their grafting class in the past, but you can always opt to be on our email um, delivery service. We'll, be reaching out about all of the different things happening here at Seed Savers. In terms of how long it'll take you to get fruit on your trees, it really depends on what variety. Some can produce as early as three years old, and some will take closer to 10 years. So it really just depends on what you receive in those five signwood that we're going to send you.
0: And again, uh, specialized tools that you'll supply. Go through those again, because I'm fascinated by this.
4: So The first tool you're going to need is a grafting knife that's a single beveled edge and we have right and left. You're also going to need the thumb cot, this protects your thumb whenever you're making those cuts. And grafting tape, this is a really flexible tape that holds your graft in place while it's healing. And then if you have them, this isn't something that we send, but it makes it a lot easier, is a pair of clippers. And, of course, a tag, which I don't have an example of here today.
0: How do people sign up?
4: Yeah, so you can visit our website, SeedSavers.org, and you can look up grafting class, and it'll come right up. And then you just pick your time slot. There's seven options, and then we'll send you out your supplies in early April
0: this is just remarkable. I think it's a fabulous idea. Um, And thank you for coming on the show to help us understand what's involved. Jamie Hansen, the orchard manager at Seed Savers Exchange in Decorah, Iowa. Thank you so much for being on You Bet Your Garden.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: You're sitting there Seeing the passers-by all stirred Like you have no place to go But there's so much they don't know about Apple Scrubs <laughs> You've been stood around for years See my smiles and touch my tears How it's been a long, long time And how you've been on my, my, my Apple Scrubs. Apple's good. Step outside, to stand with your flowers in your hand, my apple scrubs. While the years come and go, now your love must surely show me that the battle, time, space, we're together, face, 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 my apple scrubs.
0: Michael, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike, how are you? I am just ducky. Thank you, Michael. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Okay, and where is Michael pretty good? Uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, very good. I actually had a question about
1: uh, peony flowers. So my wife really likes those flowers, um, but I don't know, like, I know there's like a couple different types of peonies and... Uh, Where I'm thinking about planting it, it does. It's a very kind of shaded part
0: of our house. So I was wondering, uh, what advice you would have, where to start? Okay, is it shaded by the house or by trees? Kind of both. It's on the north
1: side, and then there is a crabapple tree growing in that, like uh, a flowerbed area.
0: And how does the crabapple tree flower in the springtime?
1: Uh, yeah, flowers really nicely in the springtime.
0: Well, then I think it's worth a shot. I can only think of two types of peonies, uh, even though I grow them, I'm far from an expert in them. You got the ones that you put in the ground and they break through in the spring and bloom beautifully. And then you've got what's called the tree peony. Where the peonies mm-hmm. have been grafted onto a rootstock. I presume we're talking about peonies planted in the ground.
1: Um, I I like both. I know my wife likes some of the the tree peonies, like
0: mm-hmm. uh, the,
1: some of the woody ones. I don't know if one. I don't know if uh, all of them have to be. Do all of them have to be grafted?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a normal form. Although I could be wrong. Uh, okay. So it and. You know, if you say the apple tree blossoms beautifully, that area would seem to be okay. Um, A lot of okay. people think about shade, and they're thinking about the summertime when the deciduous trees are in full bloom. But in the late winter, early spring, a lot of light gets through those bare branches. Um, so... Again, the apple tree, to me, is a dead giveaway that it's all right. Now, in my experience, and again, I I inherited a peony that has bloomed every year for 35 years, and I don't know how long it was in the ground before that. It is right at the edge of the road. I have to generally put up a little bit of fencing or string uh, to keep it off of the actual tarmac. And it gets road salt. It gets all sorts of disrespect. And it blooms beautifully every year. So I consider them a very tough plant. Now, uh, as you, you know, you're going to want to, if you're going to buy it online, you're going to want to go to online sources and you're going to look for shade tolerance. You might want Mm -hmm. to... uh, get in touch with the Missouri Extension Service and see if they have a list of peonies that tolerate shade. I would not be surprised about that. And if you're going to get them from a local nursery, um, Mm -hmm. as soon as they start opening up for the season, or if you know them, if they're a neighborhood garden center you frequent, give them a call and ask what they're going to have coming in, and then you can re- you can reverse look up those varieties and see if they're ones that you want. Okay, that
1: sounds like uh, some good idea. I also know we have the botanical garden here, so maybe I'll give them a a call as well. And
0: um, oh, as far I, as for, I, I appeared there, I appeared. Oh, at, is that right? Yeah, years ago. Meaningless. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. really beautiful garden yeah, yeah. Uh, um, if you wanted a plant. Mm-hmm. if you wanted to go there um, well you can go there just for the joy of it but I would go online and see if they have a page or a click through where you can ask them questions and oh, okay, also yep. also look at the events and see if there's an upcoming event where the Q&A would be of great interest to you.
1: Okay, no, I, I will do that. And then uh, for, so once I find out the variety, is there anything uh, special about planting them? Do I need to, like, acidify? Do they, like, basic soil, acidic soil, or is it just put them in the ground and go for it?
0: Well, the, um, what I'll call the natural peonies um, mm-hmm. get, you know, buried in the ground a few inches deep, um, like spring bulbs. But they um, they really thrive. They send down deep roots. Um, that, In my experience, they actually mitigate downward. So that after like a decade, you can't find that root ball anymore. Uh, they're very hardy. Oh. They don't need to be protected over winter. And if you're going to go for the tree form, you want to make sure that no mulch or other material is touching the trunk of the tree. You you can see the root flare coming out of the bottom of the trunk. And if there is a graft on the tree, you want to be careful not to harm that. And that must be above the soil line. Okay.
1: All right. Well, that all sounds good.
0: Yeah. And after you get them in, you know, give some compost uh, around the base of the tree, the hardy perennial, you know, wait till it's all done, then spread some compost around because that's the time where it'll be developing the following year's flowers. All right. That's a lot of help. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that we are addressing one of the major concerns we've been hearing about this winter. Why does my lettuce bolt so early in the spring? It turns bitter, I can't stand it. Well, in this week's question of the week, we're going to address all the ways you can lengthen your lettuce harvest in the spring. That's coming up soon on You Bet Your Garden from the UniVest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in
3: Bethlehem, PA. This is 91.3 FM WLVR Bethlehem, a broadcast service of Lehigh University, streaming online at WLVR.org from the UniVest Public Media Center.
0: Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In this week's question of the week, we're going to address all the ways you can lengthen your lettuce harvest in the spring right after another phone call at 888 492 Dan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
5: Hey, Mike. Good to be on.
0: It's good to have you on, Dan. How are you doing?
5: I'm doing great today.
0: And where is Dan doing great?
5: I'm in Chevrolet, Maryland, right outside of D.C. in Prince George County.
0: The greater D.C. area. I miss it. I used to spend a lot of time there. Um, okay. So what's up, man?
5: What can we do you for? I've got a, um, uh, a nice little, little, little yard and I've been doing a lot of gardening, but I'm always looking for more cheap ways to get compost and, and to be more efficient. And so I'm hoping to put a, a compost pile in my yard like my dad had growing up. Um, I've got one location that that works well for it. Um, or at least it's out of the way of pretty things. And, mm-hmm. uh, my question is whether bamboo and Japanese knotweed, which grow, in my neighbor's yard next to it, uh, are going to invade that compost pile. And then am I going to accidentally transplant, you know, pests all over the yard? Well, you'll probably do that anyway. Um, how close
0: is the Japanese knotweed to your property?
5: It is, uh, it, it has made occasional forays, uh, under. So I imagine that the, the, the rhizome is there already. Uh, I see like, one, I've seen like one or two sprouts come out, but it's, I mean, I could, touch it, it, it comes over, it leans over my fence. And then I occasionally one or two will come up. And as soon as I see it, I try to pull it out immediately, but that's as much as I've done.
0: Cause you know, if that gets established, you're, you're done, you won't have a garden.
5: <laughs> well, luckily this is like there, I mean, it's a good, I don't know if this makes a difference, but it's a good 40 feet from where I have the rest of my garden. It's, it's this one little corner and then there's grass. And a terrace, and then and then on the upper side of the terrace is where I have the actual garden, which is a, a good distance away. Is you say
0: it's up on a terrace, so the knotweed? No, so
5: the the knotweed is down below, right? And then, uh, up up above, there's there's a, a, a an area that has like my my patio and and uh, 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 some garden beds. Okay, so it would have to so it's climb pretty far away. It would have to go, yeah, pretty far,
0: like the length of my house. Well, (laughs) it will eventually. You can be sure of that. Now, let's talk about the bamboo. Um, On my property, uh, Mm -hmm. let's take the house in the middle, and then heading north, of course, is my garden, because just to the south is a stream And then there's a clump of bamboo that was planted perhaps 75, 80 years ago. So it predates me and my neighbors, making us innocent. Um, I do most of my composting in the back of the garden. uh, But one year when I was overloaded with leaves, I set up a, a black plastic composter over there and was astonished at the end of the season, you know, it had been filled with leaves and coffee grounds and Mm -hmm. stuff. At the end of the season, a bamboo comb had come up and knocked the lid off. So, (laughs) I mean, it was, I am Godzilla. You are a foolish, puny little man. Right. But it didn't harm the compost. You know, when I I took the... uh, the compost are off. You know, there's no bottom on those things. You don't want a bottom right. on them. And then I was just able to harvest the compost um, around the bamboo. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the situation. Um, whatever you do, you want your compost pile, no matter what you're going to uh, encompass it with, surround it with, whether it's wire fencing Um, some sort of a wooden compost bin. Um, Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that it's protected, first of all, from the knotweed. You want to make sure it has ground contact so earthworms can come and go and help you Mm -hmm. out. And if knotweed gets in there, you're doomed. I mean, you're just, you know, you got to sell the house in the wintertime and try again someplace (laughs) else. Uh, But the bamboo... um, You can work around. However, the bamboo is going to continue to advance into your property. And that's a bigger danger because that will affect your foundation. It'll eat your terrace for lunch. So I think even though you mentioned that you are, quote, cheap, I think you should invest in a landscaper coming out and installing a rhizome barrier on the property line just to prevent yeah. both those things from coming over. It will, will, aber- that
5: prevent the, will that prevent the knotweed as well? I mean, is it effective against the knotweed as well?
0: It should be. You know, they're okay. both rhizomaceous yeah. plants. Um, you know, and again, a landscaper is going to know the correct depth, and they're also going to know how to correctly install the material. That's very important. You can't leave any gaps. You can't do slipshod work. But it will keep the uh, bamboo on your neighbor's property, and it should keep out the Japanese knotweed as well. Because, like I said, that's both of them are just going to continue to advance to your house right. until five years from now you go, oh,
5: I should have done something five years ago. <laughs> yeah. I w- I'm told that it used to be— the back of our house, a few owners ago, it was bamboo all the way across the backyard. And then they spent a lot of money. They excavated the whole thing. And instead of it being a slope, they split it into like a two-level thing like I described. Right. So it used to be bamboo across it. So now the bamboo is just on the other side of the fence. So I don't know whose fault it was, but it shouldn't have gotten there in the first place.
0: Well, if you know where your property line is, if it's on your side, it's your responsibility. If it's on your neighbor's side, it's their responsibility to get rid of it. But I right. think in this case, being proactive um, with the rhizome barrier, especially at this time in the season, before the bamboo starts to run again, I think it would be a wise mm-hmm. investment.
5: All right. Well, thanks so much.
0: All right. You take care, sir. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. As promised, it is time to get to the question of the week, how to get your lettuce to persist into summer. Eric in State College, PA, writes, a couple years ago I noticed that my lettuce was bolting and becoming really bitter early in the summer, and replanting lettuce in the warm summer soil was not productive. So I started using shade cloth over my lettuces and similar cool season crops. I purchased 40% sunblock shade cloth, ...and clip the fabric to the rabbit-slash-groundhog fence, which is about two feet above the raised bed. Note, be careful not to let any fabric dangle onto the ground, because groundhogs can climb the fabric. This has extended my lettuce season, except for the groundhog issue. Perhaps this year... I will extend the shade cloth to cover the tomatoes if things get too hot. My response, Eric, if summer gets too hot for tomatoes in central PA, I'm moving to the tropics of New England. Anyway, you point out the challenge in trying to enjoy your first ripe tomatoes in a summer salad. By that point in the season, heat-sensitive lettuce will send up a tall central stalk and the leaves will become bitter, as evidenced by a white latex-like liquid on the cut leaves. Shade cloth is an excellent way to slow this process. Available at hipper local independent garden centers, shade cloth comes in a variety of percentages indicating the amount of direct sun it blocks. It is typically suspended on hoops to hold it above the plants. The taller the hoops, the better, as a too-close-to-the-plant setup might trap excess heat and defeat the porpoise. Professional shade cloth is draped over very tall hoops and left open at the ends to protect against trapped heat. Used correctly, shade cloth will lower the temperature at the soil level, especially with adequate watering, which is important. Now, if the water is applied with sprinklers, it should only be done in the early morning. If you're using drip irrigation, do it when the sun goes down to chill the soil. Remember that lettuce plants thrive in cool soil, but lettuce seeds do not. You want to start your first run or two indoors and transplant them into the soil as soon as it's, quote, workable, which means not frozen. If you're in an area where frozen soil quickly morphs into hot days, install the plants at night. If you're in a really cold climb, remove all mulch from the planting bed two weeks in advance to allow the sun to directly warm the soil. Use row covers to protect the plants from extreme cold early on, then switch to shade cloth when the heat gets hot. An easy alternative is to situate the plants where nearby trees will provide shade as they leaf out but they will allow full sun to hit the plants before that. Note, lettuce sown in the, quote, fall, which really means late August in most regions, will always grow better and easier than spring lettuce. In late summer, early fall, the soil is warm and ideal for direct seeding. Then the shorter days and cooler nights will prevent bolting naturally. Do you really care if you enjoy most of your tomato and lettuce sandwiches and or salads in early September? It's a heck of a lot easier to achieve. No matter what, pick the tomatoes and greens early in the morning for the sweetest flavors. Variety choice is crucial. In the spring, you should only plant varieties touted as heat-resistant, heat-tolerant, or, quote, slow to Bolt. Back in 1994, garden writer Lois Trigg Chaplin compiled a list of heat-resistant varieties for the July-August issue of Organic Gardening magazine. Her first choice was pretty obvious, Slow Bolt, which was spelled and is spelled S-L-O-B-O-L-T. And it was indeed the slowest variety to Bolt in her Alabama garden, while the popular variety Green Ice lasted the longest at a nearby neighbor's place. Both are leaf lettuces. A Florida gardener found Sierra, a loose head lettuce, to be the best at beating his extreme heat. But it was also the winner in Londonderry, Vermont, a polar opposite in climate. Oregon State University researchers developed a head-forming variety called Summertime, which should grow in summer, right? In Dallas, Mission, another head lettuce, won the war. The Romaine variety Plato excelled in both California and Clemson University test gardens. Dr. David Bradshaw of Clemson asserts that romaine lettuces in general always outlast other types in the spring. The classic Amish variety Deer Tongue, which I grow every year, also gets a shout-out in the article. And finally, two vibrant red lettuces make the list. Red Sails, another variety that graces my garden every year. And Rosalita, which has to be Bruce Springsteen's favorite lettuce. They both resist heat well. Now, when the weather gets warm, make sure you have two inches of mulch around the plants to keep the soil cool. Excellent choices would be compost, shredded fall leaves, or pine straw. Terrible choices would be any kind of dyed, bagged wood chips, although arborist wood chips can do in a pinch. Just keep the layer fairly thin. We finish up with groundhogs. They are a daunting pest. They can easily burrow under your beds, and they are excellent climbers. Any fencing must go down deep and have an unsupported baffle at the top to drop them back down onto their furry little butts. My first line of defense would be a motion-activated sprinkler. When it detects something moving near your beds, it throws a couple of cups of cold water at them. Sorry, Gus. Hope we didn't ruin any of your scratch-off tickets. Well, that sure was some interesting information about begging your lettuce not to bolt, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest Question of the Week at The Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to eat my apples if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888 492 9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a question, teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG. At WLVT.org. Please include your location. I'm talking to you. Hey, I'm talking to you. Location, location, location. That was subliminal, kids. You bet your garden is a half hour public television show, an hour long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Remember your location, 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 location. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created on a dark and stormy night. Ken Quieter is our musical director. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer and set decorator is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page, which has been filled with your pretty pictures lately. Teresa Radke is our peerless princess of profound production. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Also starring Jacob Morris, Act Attack, and our beloved band of card sharks, roustabouts, and fortune tellers. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, stares into the rain and asks, is that all there is? I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I have peppers growing, lettuce sprouting, tomatoes waiting for their turn, peas propagating, and more than I care to think about. Until I see you again next week.